Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am once again joined by. Hello, everyone. Isabel here, and. And this is Agnes. So, without further ado, uh, the Girl Taku today will be about critiques we have towards anime adaptations or just the overall stories of shonen anime. Um, I, it's funny because I almost want to say the shonen genre, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but it isn't quite a genre itself because um, when we say shonen stories, manga, or anime, it just means a manga that comes out of the Shonen Jump magazine. Um, for listeners who might not be aware of this, Shonen essentially means for boys or young boys. And so when um, a magazine labels itself as Shonen, we are typically saying that these are stories, um, you know, specifically tailored towards boys. Um, so for today, uh, we are actually going to go into some critiques about it because the shonen anime tends to be quite popular and well lauded amongst the anime community. And I'm really curious to hear uh, your thoughts on the matter. I'm going to start out by picking on Isabel just because Isabel, when we were talking about genres, you specifically said that the anime that you tend to like more are all sort of under like the shonen sort of anime itself. And I'm really curious to hear as someone who genuinely likes these kind of, kinds of anime more and tends to favorite these kind of animes, what sort of critiques do you have towards this particular not genre, but this particular um, subcategory, per se. Yeah, like, I yeah, so I do tend to like shonen anime a lot more, and mostly because I grew up with it, obviously, uh, watching Naruto and Bleach uh, growing up, but, um, and then the aspect I said that uh, what I like about the shonen genre is definitely the action, and also the comedy as well, but that's kind of like a side thing. The action comes first with the fighting, so I feel like that's um, kind of what draws me into the thing but that's also my critique on the series is that the fighting is endless it'll keep going there'll be endless battles like every time the protagonist um will have a power up you know there'll be like a training phase and then you know it's the formula that keeps going but somehow i keep coming back to it right mm -hmm. so that's one <laughs> of the critiques i definitely have there for the series endless series um and I don't know if you guys also feel the same way about that or if there are any other things that might, I don't know. I also want to go to like the ending of the series where it will be like a huge battle, a huge war. I feel like mm -hmm. that's a, been a thing now that we've been seeing these series end. You know, before we didn't see these um, series like Naruto end or Bleach uh, before. But now they have ended, and yes, they all end in kind of like a war scene. I've also um, seen Gintama, and Gintama actually closes out. Like, all shounen anime have this type of formula. And in the end, they have this gigantic war at the end. So it's like a huge battle overall, and I think that's what the shounen anime is filled with, um, when you think about bat battle anime, at least. So would you say it like becomes predictable in that regard, and as a result, you become less interested in it? Or I guess, since, since you said that, you still come back to it, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like, like even when you critique it, you still come back to it. And I'm sort of yeah. trying to understand the balance of why between those two. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, it's also predictable in that many of the shows, uh, for example, even My Hero Academia, Deku starts out the series with, this is the story of how I became the greatest hero. So mm-hmm. you already know what's going to happen at the end. He's going to become the greatest hero. In Naruto, he's like, I'm going to become Hokage. You already know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I kind of get stuck in how it kind of happens, like uh, how like introduced to like new characters and I already know, you know, whatever it's going to happen. So that predictability is also a thing but getting there is kind of uh, what interests me at least like the battles and how um, other characters will come in and then they'll work together to defeat a certain enemy or something and so that's kind of how I keep getting back into it it's like each of these small little battles that I get into the only thing I don't like also is the fillers I think fillers are yeah. kind of a thing <laughs> that kind of drag on and I hate wow. it when it does not contribute to the plot <laughs> That is such a mood. <laughs> okay, I will say, like, in a shonen's defense, like, some fillers are good, mm-hmm. and then some fillers are just, it's just the beach filler arc. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and you're just either bombarded with some sort of fan service or some relaxation before the big next battle, or it's just kind of pointless because the directors or the producers need space to fill the episodes. Why? Which is honestly pretty sad. Wait, so I know, like, for example, Naruto always, like, has a joke of, oh, fillers are coming, you know? So, um, like, for fillers, it's more like they need to supplement the time because they caught up to the, uh, or to the source material, the manga. Like, would you say that's not always the case then? Or is it always the case, I guess? Because it's like what... I mean, okay, I'm answering my own question now. I guess the solution would just be, like, pause the anime and let the manga continue and then do another season. But but I guess they just want to continue it, per se, so they start adding in fillers, right? I think it's more of, like, an old-school version versus, like, the newer version. So, like, old-school shonens do that. They put in a lot of filler episodes because they want to fill up the broadcast time for as long as possible and make sure people are still watching. But nowadays, because anime is so regimented into a seasonal schedule, they can space out and budget their time better. Mm -hmm. And I think they have... And with... I guess, like, with the season and you have, like, a hard deadline of, like, 12 to 13 episodes per season, they can kind of budget out how much of each arc that they want to cover and or omit certain things. So they have, I guess you have, they have less room to be creative compared mm-hmm. to fillers, right. but at least they're adhering to the plot and they're trying not to, like, deviate sharply. As shown, like, in Gintama, where it does, like, the whole loop-de-doop. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I guess it's just more of like, as time goes by, shonen start to change and they're starting to adapt and understand how the audience want to perceive shonen rather than stick to the old ways. So, and and I do agree that I, I've personally even seen like, um, or I, all three of us have witnessed a change in like sort of the shonen materials that have been coming out, but um. Are you, for you, Agnes, are you saying, like, fillers is, like, also a reason that you sort of critique the shonen anime, or would you say there's other things going on? Because I specifically remembered uh, you saying you couldn't get into My Hero Academia, even though you started it, and now I'm kind of curious, because right now My Hero Academia is sort of, like, the big, hot shonen anime, and I'm curious on 
did you not vibe with the anime because of more shonen characteristics, or would you say it's like more privy to the anime itself? I actually have some reservations towards My Hero Academia season three, but it's also because I think now that I'm an adult, I feel less of an inclination to watch anything that's high school related. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. So. It's really not my cup of tea. I rather watch like a show that has uh, people who are struggling with adult struggles, or it's a more mature series, like a seinen series where everyone's like eighteen plus, for instance, and they're dealing with things much larger than the scope of their high school. In a way, My Hero Academia does prep them for that because they're about to become heroes. They're about to embark on, I guess, quote unquote, a job. But then they encounter villains that are much bigger and larger than they are. But at its root, I didn't really vibe with uh, the high school setting, which a lot of shonens also take place in. It's like because it's geared towards young boys or a younger audience, it's undoubtedly going to be about cute, cool high schoolers who somehow get a power and they're like, wow, I'm the most OP guy in my high school. <laughs> and like, I'm assuming that bothers you in that case, or at least makes it less enjoyable. Yeah, I don't think high, I don't think teenagers are that interesting, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't. I feel like people who have who are older have accrued more experience and are much more interesting. Which is why, like, I guess side characters in the shonen genre, especially those who are older, are much more. Oh! Which is another critique that I have is that side characters that are older or potentially have a deeper history than the main characters often seem so much cooler than the main protagonist, oh. and nobody really cares about the main protagonist. Like, you can look at Attack on Titan. No one cares about Eren, but everyone cares about Annie and... Levi. Uh, and Levi. <laughs> Levi. Yeah. Exactly. And so, with Naruto, like, the main focus on for a long time was on Kakashi, more than anything. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves Kakashi. Um, and yeah, no one cares about Sasuke. No one cares really about Naruto. We always see the sad scenes of Naruto sitting on the swing, but that's like repeated <laughs> 1,000 times per season. So it doesn't really matter at that point anymore. What we want is a newer, I guess, cooler perspective. And that's what we see in a lot of the mature audience and the mature adults or more worldly characters, per se. Um, that also applies to other shonen titles like Magi, the Magical Kingdom. Like, so you could say they created a whole spinoff off of the one coolest side character, Sinbad, just because he basically dominated character polls and he was much cooler than Alibaba or Aladdin for that case. Yeah, and I feel like I really like that series too. Um, although it doesn't come off as a strong shonen because it's kind of like set in a different world and, the, you know, they they have different powers and stuff. And it's not... That's true. And... And Aladdin is much younger than, like, he's not the typical, you know, high school protagonist. In a That's sense. true, yeah. He's, like, 12. Yeah, or even younger. I have no idea. I, I, I forget, think he's, but... like, 12, yeah. Because I think Mordechiana and and Alibaba are, like, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's it. But, yes, that's my... I have other reservations about the shonen genre. But the side characters part is one of the main critiques that I have for sure. I definitely didn't even, like, I don't know why it didn't even click for me until you said it, and then I was like, dang. Like, even as a kid, my favorite characters from shonen anime were the side characters. (laughs) Like, and they were all the older, more mature sort of mentor-esque characters. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in a way, like, it could be us being, like, 
kind of like feeling we're the main protagonist of the story and we're looking up to these side characters as mentors as kind of like the psychological thing but I don't know they just seem more interesting than anybody else so you said that was one of your critiques um what is another one then uh my biggest one is Nakama power ah okay the power <laughs> I... of friendship uh-huh <laughs> it's there's a line you can draw between Nakama power, but also get really fed up because there's no personal growth in the character itself. And it almost feels like the main character has to piggyback off the Nakama power and that everyone believes in you kind of thing. So, uh, Agnes, you might want to describe Nak- Nakama power in case anyone's listening oh, actually right. isn't too aware of it. <laughs> So the Nakama power in Shonen anime typically comes off as the character doesn't go through character development or like learn new spells or new techniques, but rather it's the power of friendship and the power of people who believe in you that propel you to somehow gain magnitudes of skills and abilities in one shot. And you can kill a villain that way. Which... I think is very confusing because it's hard to make friends and it's hard to forge bonds and have people fully trust in you. And that doesn't really tap into your potential personally. Uh, Isabel, I must pit you two against each other or I'm trying to, but it's probably going to fail. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts then on the Nakama power? Since uh, Agnes is absolutely right. It is a huge staple to the Shonen story. Oh man, I... Honestly, yeah, sometimes I don't. I don't really follow that either. Or or maybe I'm just blind to it. I feel like I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Keep going. You become with... desensitized to it. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of go along with it when the, they're like, oh, yeah, they're fighting for their friends. This is great. Or I kind of accept it, too. That is a formula within the series that this will happen. And I just want to see how it's going to happen instead of just... Uh... Although when you talk about you know how powers come in with like for no reason at all. I just can't, I just can't help but, like, go back to Ichigo. Where <laughs> all these powers, and I'm just like, he's amazing, I like him as a character, but I don't understand where he gets these powers and how it happens. <laughs> There's no real sense of danger. I think that's the one critique I had on that. Even though I love Bleach to death, it's just kind of like, why is this happening, and why is a character like this? But... You're absolutely right. Yeah, Ichigo literally gets a silver platter of jeans just handed to him, oh, and he gets. It, okay, uh, this is this is manga spoiler territory, but I'm pretty sure almost everyone knows. It is Ichigo's old like, manga. You are probably yeah. safe. So. Yeah, it's Ichigo is like part Shinigami, part Quincy, part Hollow, part Fullbring, <laughs> part Visor? Question mark. It's question. like. <laughs> lot of halves you're talking about they're probably like eighths at this point <laughs> of so, of, it's just weird um ichigo yeah ichigo's like a prime example of shonen characters that get powers from for no reason at all and it's just literally handed to them uh but then the nakama power the one that i had the most issue with is you'll see it more in like fairy tale for instance oh yeah or like or like dragon ball z kind of thing it's just it doesn't make sense to me maybe it's my istp side talking these like where are the mechanics for this i don't understand this at all but (laughs) the nakama power 
eventually gets very tiresome, especially in fairy tale, because they repeat it at the end of every single arc. Like, my friends believe in me. And that's that's how Natsu like blows up the next villain. Mm, I see. I think um so I know Isabel, like you said, like you sort of accept it. I don't know if you really enjoy it, but the Nakama power parts that I enjoy in Shonen anime is sort of it tends to be more around characters where there was a central arc of them befriending people and um and for example, Naruto tends to really, really, really um milk the nakama power for sure but um i was uh, eventually yes i agree at one point it did start to get like predictable slash boring in regards to it happening but for the first few times it's happened i was very on board with it and very very emotionally involved and that was because naruto's big arc on even why he wanted to become hokage wasn't so much on the fact that he just wanted to be the best but really he was really lonely and that he was ostracized, and he thought that becoming Hokage was the best way, essentially, to make the people like him and be friends with him. And so when a big motivation for the character is literally nested in, like, having people like him and accept him and be his friend, and um, when so when the power-ups are about Nakama, then I'm more okay with it because it fits within his motivation set you know what i mean like what makes no, that character? most definitely yeah and, and so- i think that's why naruto doesn't fall so much into the pitfall of the nakama power because I agree. naruto actively tries to make friends yeah. and you see that since the beginning and then near like the middle half of naruto like he befriends the demon that lives inside of him the demon beast uh Oh, he he would kill you if he was alive. Kurama. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's a a grumpy old man. He's a grumpy. But yeah, like, Naruto actively goes out and makes friends with Kurama, even though, like, he should detest the beast that lives inside of him because the beast has caused him so much grief. But that's, like, a huge character development, which is really nice to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus, like, in Fairy Tale, like, they're all friends. But that's it. Yeah, no, There's I agree. nothing more to add to it. No, like, I you agree. Could say, you could spin it by saying, like, oh, Lucy Hartfelt, Hartfila was the heiress to a, com- uh, a, to a business that her father owned. And she was very lonely. And so she wanted to make friends and go out in guilds like her parents used to. But it really never harps on it at all. Like, it's totally overshadowed by all the other overpowered characters and plot progressions that it doesn't feel genuine anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. And I think and I think that's like the pitfall is that so many shonen um, stories do milk the Nakama power, but they forget to essentially set up a character arc or a character to really, really harness it for a reason because it becomes laughable in the sense that like, wait, they've always had nakama so it's like it matters less versus like i said especially in the beginning with naruto when he uses it it's like oh like you know i do feel emotional about it because this is actually what he's been working for so um so i definitely think that's a big critique isabel i interrupted you what were you gonna say (laughs) i didn't have anything i like the fact that you brought up emotions um i feel like that's a big one in my hero academia as well um even though deku has a lot of emotion behind him but he has he does train up to it 
so that's why I kind of accept it there. There's no, I feel like a lot of people do like that, and the fact that it's not always about um, just getting powers for no reason or just working. I mean, I guess he is also in a situation where everyone in the class is already his friend, kind of, and he's working with them. Um, so I guess the situation is a little different there. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, since we've talked about that, uh, did you have any critiques at all, Gracie, other than Nakama power or fillers for our Shonen series? So my first critique is sort of broader scope. Like, I can't even really say it's, like, for a Shonen anime. So um, it's more like the idea of labeling a, a form of media as Shonen bothers me. Um just because of the fact that I don't, I think stories, because that's ultimately what media is, is their stories, and whether it's manga or anime. And I just don't feel like stories should ever be sort of sanctioned to a particular gender, you know, or even a particular mm. age, in my opinion. It's supposed to just be enjoyed. And if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And if you don't, you don't. And so when um, there's an, uh, an entire magazine literally called, you know, Shonen Jump, which is for boys, it sort of puts down a mindset of all these similar stories are specifically for boys. And it becomes a little ostracizing for you know, example, if boys enjoy shoujo, you know, stories instead. Or um, less so, but when girls enjoy shonen stories instead. And so... Um, for me, it's, like I said, this is more broader scope. Like, just the idea of even labeling a particular anime or manga as shonen has always bothered me because it kind of reminds me of the whole chiclet genre, you know, that mm -hmm. we have in novels, which that's always bothered me too because I'm just like, this literature, is, like, you know, it should be, if a guy enjoys it, he should be able to enjoy it, you know, but there is unfortunately an inherent feeling of, shame when you're an opposite gender and you enjoy something else that's specifically for the other gender and so that's like my broader scope issue i have with the idea of just shown in anime as a whole like does that make sense <laughs> no no that makes sense um i feel like that ties in really well because older shonen titles have been more and more catered towards you know the the young boy demographic because those that was the magazine that's catered to and then you have things like you have shoujo magazines you also have seinen magazines you have young ace things like that that particularly target a specific audience but the nice thing is that as anime continues to grow and evolve into the 21st century things start to change and we start to see that a lot in the anime community um there is a number of very good shows that I can think of now that have kind of like slowly started subverting the ideals of the shonen genre or adding specific characters or plots or setting types that you normally won't see in a shonen magazine, which is, I think, very nice because it now becomes much more appealing to a broader audience rather than a specific demographic or specific gender in this case mm -hmm. like it's changing it's changing with the culture essentially because yes. definitely yeah. older times even whether it's in the u.s or in japan gender roles were a lot more strict and within boxes even you know like I, i'm just even thinking of in the u.s growing up like while you you know they don't shame 
guys for wanting to be teachers or something like that. There's sort of this underlying like acceptance that it's going to be women who are teachers. You know what I mean? So right, um, yeah, like right. women's the caretaker. They're going to be teachers. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, and so it's just like it's nice that it's reflecting the changing culture for sure. Yeah, so that's my first critique, and actually, my second critique kind of lays right into what you were talking about, Agnes. Is um, my second critique of Shonen is that they always they always have a male protagonist, and while having <laughs> a male protagonist is not an issue whatsoever. In fact, there's mm-hmm. a lot of Shonen male protagonists that I personally love, um, or even relate to in this case, but it's. I almost feel like when I read them, it's like a necessary checkbox. Like to be in Shonen Jump, you have to have a male protagonist. And um, that actually makes me, brings me to bring attention to one of the other Shonen uh, storylines that doesn't do that, which is Promise Neverland. Um, Promise Neverland is um, Shonen, but the main protagonist, the main, main protagonist is undoubtedly a female character named Emma. And so, um, and I think the creator actually said it best because I remember reading an interview where, um, and I, I wish I could find it again. I, it was a link on Twitter and then I lost it. So It's um, actually on um, Manga Plus. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. It's the interview with, I think, the editor-in-chief for Promise Neverland and he discussed with the interviewer, the process of bringing Promise Neverland into Shueisha's uh, magazine, and they talked about the characterization of Emma. Did oh. they did they specifically talk about how um, like it was purposeful to bring Emma as the main protagonist as a female character? I don't know if we're yes, yeah. they did. Okay, or great. Was it a guy article. before? Yes, or a boy before? Yeah, they. I I think in the article. The editor said that the author specifically didn't want it to be a singular male protagonist, but wanted to split it into like a trio mm-hmm. with Emma as w- sharing that protagonist role. It's not like in other shonen series where like you have a trifecta, but obviously like it's skewed towards one protagonist that's usually male right. versus in Promise Neverland, it's shared and Emma ends up being the, the emotional core and the person who motivates everybody to leave Gracefield. Yeah, so that's, okay, so you read that interview. So me reading that interview just made me so happy because um, it also shows that, you know, shonen, you know, supposed manga or manga for shonen or, you know, young boys do not have to be male protagonist-led. For them to enjoy it and promise neverland is proof of that with emma being the the leading factor slash motivation in regards to leaving gracefield and so um and so that has already been changing but i feel like not enough and i would still like to see more of it so that's my other critique in that particular manner yeah i would agree i would like to see more female protagonists like even maybe like having the female protagonist as the main character in a shonen series, that would be really nice because usually I feel like even in the bigger series, they feel there's not enough female characters sometimes. Um, and if they are, they're like super side characters or um, definitely they, they might have their own little arcs, but it's not the same as what the male protagonist might have or other characters really. 
That actually brings up a good point that now we're talking about female characters because I feel another critique in the shonen genre is that the female character, even if they're part of like a trifecta, like let's say like God of High School, for instance, right? The female character only feels like an adjunct to the two male protagonists, which kind of puts me on an off kilter. Like they're not as worthy as a protagonist on her own Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because she always gets the least characterization of the trifecta you know like the secondary male protagonist will get his moment and then she's just sort of kind of gets it but not really yeah and she'll also be a more of a like a healer support type i feel like for example like naruto (sighs) sakura is a healer yeah and yeah, even Blaze Orihime is like a healer. So like, yeah, they'll usually have that. I guess Rukia is different in a sense, but still like... And everyone there's... loves Rukia more, so... <laughs> <laughs> but like, Rukia doesn't even do much anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> true. The, the only reason why she's important in that role specifically now is to give Ichigo access to Shinigami powers, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to lay it out so bare like that. <laughs> I love Bleach, but there... I have... I, okay. I have, like, monthly discussions with my friends on Discord. Like, occasionally uh-huh. we'll, like, talk about something, and then suddenly we'll start talking about Bleach, and it goes oh, on for, like, over an hour because of how much we love and how much we hate it. Oh, my god! <laughs> Both the manga and the anime. And everyone's like, it's an ongoing debate. It never stops. Mm-hmm. Versus Naruto feels redeemable-ish. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So for Naruto, uh, Sakura ended up, Sakura and Hinata and all the other female characters, unfortunately, ended up not really being a thing. But Sarada in the sequel is amazing. She has such oh. a presence. And like, well, there's, there's yeah. two reasons. There's one reason behind it is that Kishimoto is not in charge of Sarada or the Boruto series. But he did write the Sarada, uh, the Sarada-focused prequel to Boruto where she goes to find Sasuke and that was honestly very well written and fleshed her out to be a very well written character and what's interesting is I think Kishimoto actually has shown himself capable of writing really good female characters for example I don't know if you guys remember Conan from um she used to oh Conan's good yeah Yeah, Conan's good yeah everyone remembers her and her fight and um and um Kushina also made a huge impact in regards to her tough mom um, love ability. But, like, you know, like, she she also made a big impact on more than just healing, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting because it shows that he's capable of writing them, but for some reason was unable to funnel them into, like, the main female characters. Um, it might also be because experience, because all these characters that you mentioned come at the end of Naruto. That is They're very all true. in the second half. Mm-hmm. Versus at the beginning half, a lot of the females are like very, like, I guess like Tsunade was like the beginning point of him starting to incorporate more badass female characters, like Tsunade. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that earlier already, my bad. I'm repeating myself. <laughs> um, but like, you look at like Sakura and Ino, they decided during their ninja journey that they wanted to take up like a healer role which is why they ended up interning underneath Tsunade uh you have Tamari uh not Tamari actually Tamari was also badass okay Tamari was cool so that's right Tamari was also cool um but so I was just gonna say Tenten Tenten I think has a really unique skill set because she's kind of like and she's uh, hardly focused though yeah she's hardly focused that's that's like the thing uh she's like that one character from Book hero, the one who can um, change her molecular body 
and pull like weapons and stuff out of it or like useful items. Yayoi? Yeah, she's like her, but less character development and just there in the background. So I think that's, I guess like Kishimura at one point figured like, oh, you know, maybe I should start adding like these cool female characters. And then he started to build his repertoire up. But pretty early Kishimoto's stuff does not really have like cool females that we or anybody else can look up to. And I think it's just, um, yeah, no, it's just really, it's sad. And like I said, there are, there's, they're either relegated to the healer role, but the other one I was thinking of is they're relegated to this like tough personality who will beat up any man who tries to get her in her way and like seems really proud and arrogant and like overall very unlikable. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it tends to just filter into those two and very rarely anything else. Hmm. What example would you do for that one? Because you can say that there's a slew of like, because we talked about like strong female characters in the last like what podcast or two podcasts from here. What's the difference between that and someone like Olivia Armstrong, who's like, doesn't take anyone's BS and she's very proud and also a bit arrogant too at times. Right, but I think the biggest thing is with uh, Olivier Armstrong is that she doesn't use her female status to be like, I'm better than everyone. You know what I mean? Like, there's um, an inherent, and this actually is less shonen, but um, I don't even actually know what adaptation um, this anime comes from. But I don't even remember the name because it was really fancy. (laughs) Um, All I remember in there was like the girls in the school like sort of rule the school and they all sort of have this attitude where it's like because I am a girl, I am better than all of you sort of thing. And it paints, in my honest opinion, it paints women and female characters in a bad light because it makes it almost sound like if you're a confident woman, woman, you sort of look down on men. Do you know what I mean? Versus Olivier oh. Armstrong, who's more just about the fact that I am strong, I am confident, and you're going to listen to me. And it doesn't have to do with the fact that I look down on you because of your gender or something like that. Oh. I see. Okay. okay. I see the difference now. So it's more of like, at least like in her case, it's merit. Mm-hmm. And in this case, and the the example of the show, I feel like you're talking about the the Busso Arms Machiavelli. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that one. I, I, I was like thinking about that. it. I'm like, what kind of harem anime does this fall under? And I was like <laughs> listing through them in my head. I did read it briefly, and I do understand where you're coming from in that sense too. Um, and yeah, it's kind of weirdly off putting because not all females are like that looks at all three of us <laughs> uh, well yeah. i don't think most of them are like that you know because yeah. why why would we like no like, why, why would we look down <laughs> on someone for like their sex like no <laughs> like, um like why would you do that you know so it just means that you're <laughs> exactly like okay if you do that you're literally just being mean like you're not it's yeah. not even about confidence anymore or you're literally being mean. So, um, and another one that came up very recently, but I'm not a whole. I haven't like decided against her yet because she just showed up, and I think it's possible for character development, which I'm always okay with. Um, but in Jujutsu Kaisen, the newest uh, female part of the trifecta, you know, the two guys and the girl, 
um, she had shown up recently and she's just like, you know, I'm a model body. Like people are going to like, like love me and lust after me sort of thing. And, um, she got into a fight with the main protagonist, like an argument with the main protagonist when they were going through their test, essentially. And she was just like, I bet you're one of those guys that girls would never approach and stuff like that. And it's like that sort of attitude that can be really, really off-putting and can almost give a sense of like women will feel superior when they're confident sort of thing. And it's just like, no, that's not the case. And that's not. I mean, maybe in very rare cases it happens, but I absolutely guarantee to you that the majority of the time it doesn't. But when you keep writing female characters like that in essentially stories apparently made for young boys, it's going to get in their head is how I feel about it. And so, um, but once again, this Jujutsu Kaisen's character, I'm like less harsh on it because it could lead to character development per se. But even then, like, with it starting off like that, it's a little off-putting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree. I've seen a handful of females in my own life where they kind of pull up that arrogance attitude. And they try to belittle men like that. And it really makes the males and other females feel really offset. Like, they're, they're, they're only there to jeer about how superior they are, and they end up not being a nice person. Everyone ends up ostracizing them. Right. So it's not healthy at all for a character to develop to for a character to just be cemented in that role. Unless, like, let's say it's part of the development, or they're like an antagonist, for instance. But for a female protagonist to have that throughout the entire series, debatable. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely won't develop in a way that people would like, and they usually won't have any development at all. They might stay the same, and then um, I feel like not a lot of people would like that character in general either. Yeah, you're, they won't end up rooting for her. You're supposed to root for a protagonist, but if they're going to be like that, no one is going to care. Yeah, so that's like that's sort of my two critiques. I do have a critique that's not to do with me, but um, to do with uh, someone else who said it. So my coworker at work his, he and his uh fiance watches a lot of anime and they, um th- his girl or his fiance not girlfriend anymore his fiance has recently said that she's not as interested in watching like anime adaptations of shonen anymore and she says the reason for that is because the atmosphere always feels the same and it becomes boring because of that. And I sort of wanted to hear your thoughts on specifically, because it's less, it's, you know, like, I guess Nakama Power and, you know, the fight scenes and all that stuff sort of, like, goes and contributes to the atmosphere, but she is specifically saying, like, the whole atmosphere just feels like the same color consistently. And so I'm really curious on whether you guys agree or disagree with that particular uh, critique. Before we jump into that, do you know what shows she refers to as like a general, like maybe like top three that she thinks has a similar atmosphere? Because it's hard to judge since the shonen genre has changed for, or shonen demographic has changed a lot in anime that introduced it different like settings, themes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know like what range is she watching? So she's definitely seen One Piece. She's uh, seen Naruto. Um, I'm sure she's seen Bleach as well. And then, so all, like, the very famous old ones. And then, but she's also seen Demon Slayer, Dr. Stone, um, My Hero Academia, um, Attack on Titan. And 
Uh, recently with Jujutsu Kaisen coming out, that was the reason why she wasn't interested in watching it. Is after like she's oh. watched all the older ones and she's also watched the newer ones, and she still holds true to the fact that she thinks the atmosphere basically is similar. Oh, that's a lot to digest. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking like maybe she watched like three shows. And oh she didn't no, watch the show no, 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 <laughs> definitely not. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming that's that's a it's a she, right? Yeah, Sorry. it is a she. Yeah. Okay, she. Okay. Uh, wow, that's a lot. I guess like the first point that I'd like to make, and I kind of see this a lot in video games too, especially with like JRPGs, which take a very very strong shonen vibe, is they have generally like you have the protagonist gets his powers goes through a conflict where he first meets the villain, the villain claps his ass back to the ground. <laughs> and then the, the protagonist is like, I must power up. And they go through that back and forth, back and forth in all the shonens until, as Isabel says, in the final scene, there's a big war. Mm-hmm. That's the only pattern that I think is similar in all those shonens. Because it's like that in Demon Slayer. Even though Demon Slayer is wildly popular, it goes through that phase of... Tanjiro gets powers because of certain motivations, and then he goes to kill the big bad. Um, Bleach also the same way. Naruto's kind of almost the same way. Naruto goes through a lot of phases of powering up. Ichigo does too. One Piece does the same way. The problem with, I guess, like, the one rebuttal that I will have for some of these shonens is that the motivations differ which makes it a little bit more appealing rather than boring, but it just depends on how you look at it. So like in Demon Slayer, Tanjiro's only motivation to getting stronger is so that he can find a cure for Nezuko. Like it's purely out of, out of, uh, not, uh, he's purely selfless in that motivation. It's all for her. Uh, for Naruto and for Luffy's sake in One Piece, it's more of a personal motivation. Naruto is, I don't want to be alone anymore. And Luffy is just, I want to be Pirate King because it sounds cool. Ichigo's just whatever. So I'm not, there's no motivation for Ichigo, period. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess that's the only thing that makes it different. But I can see why she gets bored of it because it's just this back and forth. And it brings me, I guess, to my other critique of the shonen genre where the main protagonists don't necessarily try to solve the overall problem. By looking at it in multiple ways, but they just constantly focus on power-ups and being stronger for the sake of just defeating the villain. So the opposite opposite of that is Promised Neverland. Promised Neverland is all the characters take time to look at the problem that they have, analyze it, and figure out how to approach it in ways that is not throwing themselves headfirst and getting into a fight. So like, for instance, in season one of Promised Neverland... Uh, Emma, Ray, and Norman are constantly creating new skim- new schemes and plans to work around Isabella so that all the kids can leave Gracefield. And it doesn't involve straight-up violence or all the kids like arming themselves. Later, they do arm themselves with guns, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> so then that becomes a more creative approach to things. Um, similar in, in a similar sense, Kekai Sensen also does the same thing too. So that's Blood, Blood Blockade Battlefront in which the main character is not trying to use his powers to like smash some heads in, but try to resolve the problems by making people see what is there. Uh, without spoiling too much in context. 
So <laughs> that, because, yeah, because the, the Kikai Sense in season one ending is very interesting. But I guess, like, that are only exceptions, but I can see why she thinks that a lot of the shonen genre becomes very repetitive, is that there's this constant formula, and there's no alternative to the things that they do. There's nothing that's smart about it. I guess, like, uh, I guess maybe I inter- interpreted what you were saying differently, but uh, I interpreted it as saying when you said, like, they don't really solve the problem, they just, like, fight, is that they don't really try to solve, like, where these villains came from and why they became what they became. It's just, like, there's a villain and they have to defeat it, and it's just, like, but it to me, it's, like, if, if they finish fighting a villain, but they also dig into the core of why that villain became who they were, and, like, maybe there's an underlying theme in their society or in the world that the protagonist can fix or should fix, um, it becomes a lot deeper immediately and a lot more um, meaningful. So that's sort of how I interpret it. That's a good point because Demon Slayer almost does that, but not really. Because you always have a back scene for a demon that Tanjiro slays and everyone gets really weepy, like with Rui, uh, Rui's like, spider family, right? <laughs> oh gosh, that was oh, really yeah. sad, actually. <laughs> it was actually really emotional because it's like, yeah. you always wanted a family, but you could never have it. You can never grasp onto it. And now you just have this these dysfunctional people who act as family, right? So that's really deep. But like you said, the shonen protagonists don't attack the core of why this is is. Um, why the fact that Mugen, uh, not Mugen, I'm so, <laughs> not Mugen Train, um, why the antagonist, what's his name? Uh, Michael Jackson. Are you talking? Um, yeah, I was about to say Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Um, why, why he specifically targets these people at their lowest point in life and turns them into demons. Is it coming up? Possibly, I I haven't read the manga, so I'm I'm just like, speculating at this point. That I I I I told myself that, that I would just watch the anime, figure it out from there. Okay, no worries. Uh, this uh, is gonna bother me. What's his name? <laughs> I I know it also starts with M, but I can't. Yeah, I just, I like I just name, but... oh, Muzen. Hey, no, That's right. It's hey, no. Muzen, not Mugen Train. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, it is Muzen, right? Like... Yeah, it's yeah. Muzen. Yeah. <laughs> they just all start with M names, M U, or at least they sound like phonetically M U. So I'm like Muzen, Mugen. They all sound the same. You might be thinking of his last name, which is Kibu. What uh, like, even... <laughs> no Yaiba? No kidding. No, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> Kibutsu. You know what? I- I'm gonna stop. I'm just butchering <laughs> it. I have terrible pronunciation. Okay, it took me until I was 20 to still learn how to pronounce English words correctly. So imagine me learning another language. So. Right. So in that case, like going off of like what Gracie and I have been. Going back and forth on, what do you think, Isabel? Do you think, like, the shonen genre still has a repetitive formula that it goes by that still makes it unappealing? Or do you think that it's an inherent problem of how the protagonists solve the issue or fight their way through? Yeah, it's kind of that, how they kind of go through this cycle I think it's a better way of one of the ways I think might be the atmosphere as well that they're going through this whole cycle of you know um like you said powering up and then training and then meeting a mentor stuff like that um and I recently listened to like Brandon uh, Brandon Sanderson's lecture <gasps> on this, Brandon and I was Sanderson. very surprised 
I was very surprised by how you identify this with Lord of the Rings, how oh. it'll be a, the monolith type series where they'll go on an adventure, like maybe usually it'll be like an underdog, you know, um, and then they will, they don't know anything maybe, and they'll like grow out of it and they'll meet a mentor, reach a power up or somebody, maybe somebody else will come in um, like Aragorn or somebody, um, stuff like that. And it'll go in a cycle. And it was interesting for me to see that this type of thing keeps going in um, many shonen series as well. And um, I feel like maybe that's the atmosphere um, that your coworker's fiance might've been talking about. Um, I don't know if she's seen Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan for me was a different thing. Um, I think she has, but I'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure. She does okay. like she and her, she and my coworker watch a lot of anime. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Attack on Titan is different in that the story is not necessarily a monolith because of that. It's it might be the character too. Uh, for for me, season one, Aaron kind of almost ruined it because I couldn't <laughs> find his character. But you know, I kept on watching it because I thought it was interesting. It's it's like this rise and fall of conflict. Like every time they meet something and then like you know like humanity is going to fall like definitely the wall is broken blah 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 so they keep going inside so it's kind of like constant rise and fall and so that's a different type of story that I feel um is um different from other shonen in that it just keeps going to a climax but it's also kind of tiring in that too because you keep going up and down up and down up and down all the way until the end and now it's just down. Apparently, <laughs> everyone just cries. But the, the, the cool thing comes, about uh-huh. Attack on Titan is that it's less on that shonen like formula, but it feels more like mm-hmm. a world building progression because your focus. Because as the characters progress through each arc and season, they start to uncover more and more of the world and figure mm-hmm. out that their original beliefs aren't actually what they seem. So it makes it more interesting and more appealing than the typical shonen character growth of gaining powers and making friends along the way. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a really good input by Brandon Sanderson, though. I need to read up on that interview because I really like Brandon Sanderson's stuff. <laughs> yeah, he has a whole lecture series on, I believe, on, on writing, and I was really interested in that. And then kind of identifying that and putting that in what I watch in shows or yeah, I mean, the, the class is meant for you to write, but I was able to see that also, like how anime shows write on that as well, or have that kind of pattern that he describes. So it was really interesting. Interesting. Okay. We are mm-hmm. all just nerds. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we are. Now that I think about it, Brandon Sanderson's stuff, because I did read a lot when I was a, as a kid, he has a lot of very atypical like shonen's like shonen s series like it feels like it's yeah. for young boys in that demographic but it's very atypical it's not formulaic and they all feel very distinct from each other yeah and i think he definitely tries to get away from the series where he also has female protagonists mm-hmm. i haven't read the books myself but i feel like he does try to you know explore different um, genres and also uh, different ways of uh, displaying the protagonist that he wants in a series and moves on with that. I definitely agree with that. Like, Elantris was really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Elantris and The Emperor's Soul. Oh, yeah. They're both. I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Those two. That's a good one. <laughs> well, uh, to pull it back into <laughs> anime while Go we ahead. fangirl yes. over pull another author, <laughs> um, I do want to, like, have, like, a final discussion point with this episode, which is. Um, Despite the fact that Shonen has a formula, more specifically, I'm thinking of the underdog becomes the hero, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you still like 
that sort of storyline. And if you do, why? And if you don't, like, was it because of the critiques we talked about today? Or was it just, uh, or was it literally just because you feel like you've aged out of it sort of thing? Uh, for me personally, I feel like I still like that underdog thing. Um, as, as always, I've been watching League of Legends World Series and I always want the underdog to win. So I feel like in any <laughs> series that I ever see, sports or whatever it is, I always want the underdog team to win. Um, because it's just that, that I feel like it's just so exciting when you have that feat, like, um, you know, like in a best of five game or something, you have to go through all these, um, games just to win and, you know, turning that around, I feel like is very exciting. Whereas, you know, the opposite of that, where, you know, some shonen protagonists will be like overpowered, just like, you know, straight from the start. And for me, that kind of gets boring a little bit. Like I, I, I love, I love like Overlord like the first season and then after that I just kind of got tired like okay he's overpowered what else can he do right Mm -hmm. um and then I guess one punch man is a little different in that you know he ends everything one punch but in in the comedic sense um he's he's trying to find that one thing that might you know that one battle that might be different and then um and then obviously the other characters also play a part in that um, yeah, so for me, I've always, I'm still up for those types of series, even though it might be repetitive or, you know, um, people might not like the series in a sense or be always watching for the underdog for those. Okay. Um, so basically for you, like the critiques um, of those sort of underdog stories isn't enough to ultimately deter you from still enjoying it, correct? Nope. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. And what about you, Agnes? I definitely agree with Isabel. Uh, the underdog trope is super appealing. And like Isabel says, like it's really fun to watch like gameplays in League of Legends where like there's a turning point. And for these underdogs, it kind of becomes like a self-insert of yourself in there. Like even if you are helpless, even if you come from not favorable circumstances, there's always a way out. There's always a means to turn it around. You just have to find it. Which I think is very inspiring for many of us who struggle through through adolescence and becoming adults in the future. But it just now depends on the good execution of the underdog. Uh, like So for instance, like Naruto is a good example of a very good underdog character. He comes from a place of nowhere. He has nothing, no parents, no friends. But he tells himself to basically like never give up and continues to forge friendships in spite of the fact that he may make more enemies than he'd like. Um, like he befriends or he sympathizes a lot with like Conan and the, the founders of the Akatsuki. He continuously says that Sasuke is his best friend, even though Sasuke always tries to kill him every single time. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. Um, but yeah, that's like, and eventually he earns the respect that he gets from everybody and he finally becomes somebody that he can be proud of. Um, and in a sense, that also goes back to another very classic underdog is the Ashito no Jo, or the, or more popularly now with the new anime series, uh, Megalobox. You know, oh, you yeah. are a boxer in an underground ring. You have no name, no a means to perpetuate yourself into society, but you grasp hold of what's being given to you and you work your way up. That is cool. Um, but yeah, if you're going to do something like Ichigo, where you're going to be literally given powers and be the substitute Shinigami, which is, I guess, quote unquote, the underdog because he's not really a Shinigami, 
mm-hmm. feels a bit empty. Doesn't feel like there's substance to the character development. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually, I, I think you really, uh, you really nailed it down for my thoughts, Agnes, as well, because I was trying to, like, while you guys were thinking, I was using you two as an excuse, sorry, but <laughs> while you two were thinking, I was trying to answer my own question, I was like, I think, I'm like, honestly, I still don't mind the underdog story, because it's like Isabel mm-hmm. said, you know, you always like it when you see someone start off low and manage to fight their way up. It's always exciting. It's always emotionally investing and stuff like that. But it's just like, I cannot deny that there are certain types um, or there's certain anime or stories out there who does do the underdog story where I just could care less and I didn't really, um, and I wasn't really invested and I just don't want to watch it. And I think it ultimately is like all on the execution because the trope yeah. exists because people love it. But if you can't execute it in a way that's unique or meaningful to the characters and to the audience members, you're not going to get a good underdog story. You're going to get a typical underdog story that maybe the general people who just likes that trope no matter what would enjoy. But, you know, people who might be more critical in regards to what... um in regards to anime that we, um, in regards to anime that we watch, like the three of us, because we're essentially all anime critics at the end of the day, <laughs> um, yeah. like pay attention too much to for it for us to fully enjoy it. But that's the thing is that by the time we start nitpicking at something, it shows that the series is not doing a good job of delivering its content. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely agree. Well. Um, I think that about summarizes it up, um, you know, our critiques towards the shonen. Uh, I keep saying genre. Once again, it's not really a genre um, towards uh, the shonen um, storyline slash anime that comes out of it. And, um, you know, what bothers us and as well as the fact that despite it bothering us, we still enjoy quite a bit of stories that come out of it still. So and also the fact that it is very much changing as the mm-hmm. culture in Japan and around the world continues to change. So that's honestly really exciting for us to actually witness it. Um, at least in my opinion, it is. Yeah, um, I agree. It definitely is. 100%. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys enjoyed the Girl Taku today. And I um, hope you guys are ready for another fun topic next week. Um, and I hope you guys join us. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks.